key injury updates, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about some mailbag, our second official mailbag of the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast, and then we're gonna close off the show talking a little bit about what's to come in these future weeks with the podcast. You're gonna wanna tune in to know what the latest and greatest is at Locked On Golden Gophers. You are Locked On Golden Gophers. No matter what we're gonna do here, we're just going to keep rowing. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota uh, Golden turns out, Gophers. Whatever turns out, we're just going to keep rowing. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We're just going to keep rowing, keep rowing, and keep rowing. Yes, yes, you're listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Kane Robb, host of the podcast, former collegiate football video coordinator and recruiting assistant here to talk Golden Gophers with you each and every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Game day is tomorrow, folks. Game day is right there. It's within our grasp. It's right there. Can you smell the tailgate food? Can you hear the environment? Can you hear the chanting? It is almost there. It's right there. I can't wait. One more sleep. But keep tuning in to Locked On Golden Gophers, where you can get the latest and greatest on gopher sports each and every day of the week. It's daily, folks. This is a daily show. I do this for you. Hours and hours of time for you. So be sure to subscribe on YouTube at Lockdown Golden Gophers and follow us wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review so others can find the show and join in on the community that we are building. This is the show where we always continue to row. No matter how it goes, no matter the ups, the downs, you name it, we're ready to cheer on our Gophers fans and talk about what is going on with Gophers sports. Now, we're going to dive in today talking about injuries updates first, then we will hit the mailbag with a couple questions, and I need you to drop more questions that you want featured on these shows, on these segments, answers to these things in the comments on YouTube, in the email at LockedOnGoldenGophers at gmail.com, in the Twitter DMs at LOGoldenGophers. Drop your questions, drop your topics, drop your comments. But let's jump in with the injuries. Now, thus far, we have been lucky and to be fairly healthy through four weeks of fall camp. In fact, there are only two regular contributors that have appeared on the injury notifications when it comes to reporting for the Gophers media. Now, let me knock on wood on that one little... That's what our family does to get rid of bad luck, so feel free to jump in on that train, but what I am saying is that we are lucky to be very healthy heading into this season, and hopefully that continues. Now, that being said, this is also one area where we don't seem to get a whole lot of information on updates for injuries from PJ Fleck at press conferences. So I'm trying to do my best to gather as much information as I possibly can for you, the listener, the viewer, on what we're hearing from those players. Now, those two players that we'll talk about today are Daniel Jackson, wide receiver. The latest we have heard is that he didn't practice through the first three weeks of fall camp at the least. Now, he might not have practiced in this fourth week as well, but it wasn't open to anybody in the public. 
Now, he is being considered day-to-day is what Coach Fleck tells us in the latest media conference, which was last Friday. It feels like he has been day-to-day since it was noticed that he was missing from that first open practice on Saturday, August 6th. So that was at the beginning of August, and it feels like it's been day-to-day that whole time. So it could be a little more of a wait to see him hit the field. Honestly, I wouldn't anticipate him being suited up on Thursday, and possibly not even for the Western Illinois game, either if he hasn't been able to practice in any capacity for the month. Now, again, we don't know what happened in this week four, and Coach Fleck is saying it's day-to-day, so maybe week two is still on the table, but I'm not 100% sure on that. That said, the last open practice that was available to the media in week three of the fall camp, we... We saw that Jackson is no longer in a boot, which is progress. That does show progress because he wasn't at the practice at all on that August 6th, noticeably gone. We noticed there was something going on as far as injuries and asked about it. We're told that day to day, of course. But then it came to week two where we saw two practices where he was on the field with the team, but he was in a boot. He wasn't practicing in any capacity, just wearing his practice jersey and observing And then you go to week three where he is still just observing no longer in a boot. So that in itself is progress, but how much we don't know. So I don't think you'll see him suited up this week. I don't think you probably won't see him in at least the game next week either if I'm taking my best stab at this. But we are seeing progress and hopefully it will be soon after that that we will see Daniel Jackson return to live reps with the team. Now, who will step up in his absence at the wide receiver four? I believe guys to be looked at to fill these snaps would be Ike White, Dino Kaliak-Manis, Lamike Brockington, or Clay Geary. I think those are the best stabs at who would fill this role. Now, if I had to hone in on two of these guys, it would be Ike White, who we saw a lot of flashes from in the fall camp. We saw he was impressing others in the room, including Michael Brown-Stevens. And so I think he would be one of the guys to be looked at to step into that role. Or one of either Dino or Brockington. Now, Brockington was slowly working back from a nagging injuries. So in camp, that was the case, and it was more of a slow progression back into the full activity. Now, if I had to make a guess, gut choice, money on the line, had to go for it, I think Dino would be one of the two to look at. I think Ike White and Dino would be my choices. Dino is sure-handed. He has been stated as one of the hardest workers, a constant hard worker for this team. And so I think those two would be the first guys in line to step up with this Jackson injury. Now, the next player to talk about when it comes to injury, is Logan Richter. Now, last we saw him, he was in a soft splint on his lower leg. He hasn't been seen as suited up uh, at the week two or the week three practices that were made available to the media. There's no update mentioned in the latest press conference. And word on the street is that he might have broken his fibula. Now, if that is the case, I would imagine that he would be out for at least another month. He has been out since 
that first practice, the first open practice, that's we saw him on the field then. And then when it came to the next practice, which would have been the Tuesday following that Saturday, so we had Sunday, Monday, between those two practices, in that practice, that's when we saw him in the soft splint. So again, that's what now, three weeks where he hasn't had any activity with the practices, with the team. If it's broken, you're looking at six weeks minimum in, in that case. In most cases, it'd probably be like between six and eight, and it could extend longer depending on how rehabbing goes. So we're looking probably at another month if, again, that is the case. Now, at this point, it might be difficult for him to work back into key minutes after he is able to rehab because it could be late in the season. It could be the middle of the season, and it's hard to work yourself into one's reps once again after such a prolonged absence after missing three out of the four weeks of fall camp that's just a lot of missing time now who would step up in his absence well we he was seeing snaps with the ones in that first practice like i'd said at the interior defensive line lining up as a one tech in the first week of camp now since he went down we have seen a lot and i mean a lot of Kyler Baugh stepping into that role. He'll likely be the starter in tomorrow's game and will see the most snaps from that position uh, throughout the season. But another name to keep an eye on that I expect to get minutes, get opportunities, and get looks is Clemson transfer Darnell Jeffries working behind Kyler Baugh as Richter looks to get healthy once again. So those are the two guys that I think will really step up when it comes to filling that void. So those are the two key injuries that we're talking about. And next, we're going to talk about some mailbag questions. But first, let's talk about our friends over at Bet Online. The lines are changing. The Gophers over under collective score for this game against New Mexico State has moved down from 55 and a half to 52 and a half. So a three-point shift, which doesn't seem that crazy. But I would have smashed on a 55 and a half. I would have smashed the under immediately. 52 and a half, I don't know which way to go necessarily. Uh, we'll talk about what our predictions are for the score of the game tomorrow on tomorrow's show, Thursday, with a guest that I will be mentioning who that is at the end of this show that you're listening to. But that line is a lot more difficult, even though it's a three-point shift. So... If you want the latest and greatest when it comes to odds, you need to check out Bet Online. They have more lines, more odds, more props than ever before. They've got the latest trends in action when it comes to sports wagering information. So check out Bet Online where the game starts. Now, like I said, we're going to be diving into the mailbag, but first, I can't dive into a mailbag without thanking you for following the show, hitting subscribe. Now, I need your participation. Send any topics, any questions that you want talked about in these mailbag episodes as they come along in the comments. I'm writing them down. I'm keeping track of them so we can have episodes like today where we answer those questions. So drop those in the comments. Email us at LockedOnGoldenGophers at gmail.com. Hit us on the Twitter DMs at LOGoldenGophers and send us the questions that you have that you want to hear about when it comes to Gophers sports. 
Now, today we have three questions that we're going to jump into. The first is from at Slade Trade on Twitter. He said, with Mo and Trey seemingly healthy going into the season, how will the coaches divide up the carries at running back? Will it be all Mo or more of a split? Now, I have kind of answered this throughout our position group breakdowns and whatnot, but I do believe, especially towards the beginning of this season in the non-conference games, you're going to see probably a good split, probably not only between Mo and Trey, but also you'll see Bryce Williams worked in there. One thing to keep an eye on will be, do they work in true freshman Zach Evans as well and get him some live looks, or will they... Hold on to that red shirt, not burn it. Now you get four games before it's actually burnt. But that is something to be at least curious and interested in as we move in these non-conference games that we should be winning handily. But back to the main focus of this question, I do believe it'll be a split. I believe you'll probably something like uh, maybe 50, 30, 20 or 50, 40, 10 as far as the split in these first two games especially. I think you're going to see a lot of Mo at 50% probably. You'll see a healthy amount of Trey at maybe 40, maybe 35, something like that. And then you'll see Bryce Williams worked in there maybe 10 to 15% of snap opportunities. Now, that's not going to be exact. Don't quote me on this if it comes out and Mo's at 40 and Trey's at 30 and Zach Evans got some work. Okay, I get it. We're taking our best guess here, so bear with me. But if I had to make an educated guess, I think you're going to see a lot of Mo and Trey. I think that you're going to see maybe it could be drives where one's the guy, then it drives where others are the guy. Maybe you could see it split in quarters, but I wouldn't anticipate too much of that. If anything, if it was a one and then the other, I think it would either be drives or maybe you're doing halves. Maybe Mo gets the first half, Trey gets the second half. Now, I can't imagine that you would want to sit a guy so you could even see a hot hand approach if we're going drives for the first quarter and you get four drives they each get two if one is being way more effective in that game then maybe you're starting to ride that back with every two drives and then the other one spells for a third drive there's ways you can work it while keeping them happy keeping them getting touches and keeping them active and ready and getting back to live action, warming back up from the injury. So I do believe it will be a split. I think it'll probably be a three-back split as far as touches, but I think that Bryce Williams will be well behind the other two. I do think it'll be interesting. We'll take notes on it for this game tomorrow of how that looks as far as how is the split looking between Trey and Mo and how often are we seeing that that split could change matchup to matchup as well so there's a lot to at least keep an eye on but i don't think you'll see the one workhorse that we have seen in the past even when mo ibrahim was in 2019 where he wasn't the number one we saw rodney smith taking the vast majority with 1100 yards in that season but mo still had 600 yards So, like, we find ways to rotate our guys in there, and I wouldn't be surprised if Mo cracks a 1,000 and Trey has 
600, 700 yards on the ground as well. And we still think about that. That was 2019 where Rodney Smith had 1,100, Mo had 600, and we had two 1,000-yard receivers. So we were balanced, just like we're trying to get more balanced this season. So expect a lot of runs, expect a lot of attempts, and expect those two backs to see a lot of work. Now, our next question comes from at Carolina Gopher. They just said, um, any chance, so they they saw that I have said I have a former video coordinator and recruiting assistant, and we're wondering if I could ever dive into what that recruiting assistant role entails. So I'm going to dive into just a bit and piece of it right now, and maybe in a future episode, we'll really dive into what the day-to-day was for both of those roles, because they both can be interesting on how I use that analysis for the podcast now. But when it comes to recruiting assistant, um, there is a recruiting software in which teams use where typically you can log all of your information on players. Each coach is given specific areas. So typically you have certain territories or states or pipelines that you are looking at. Some coach or some coaching staff, depending on how big your staff is, might even split it up by cities or portions of the state. It really depends on what your hotbeds are. But D1 is probably a little more intensive than the D2 level that I was helping at. But we would have coaches that would have maybe three to four states that they were really honed in on. So we had one that was honed in on Arizona and Florida and uh, little bits and pieces of the Carolinas. And then we had another coach that was Washington and Las Vegas and little bits and pieces of that upper, like maybe Oregon area or just in that more west, upper west region. Then we had another coach that was towards California and Colorado as their main head hotbeds, but they would also assist maybe in the uh, Nevada area. I think I said Las Vegas at one point, but Nevada was the whole state for one coach, but hotbed of Las Vegas area. And then we had a coach that focused mainly on our interstate with uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, and maybe upper Minnesota or northern Minnesota. Then another coach would take the Twin Cities area of Minnesota and maybe surrounding text or like surrounding territories like Illinois, Wisconsin, and then having even a portion a portion of Texas. It just depends on where the coaches had connections and also where they were assigned. Now, depending on what the head coach designated. That can change things, and you would reevaluate as you go. If you're not seeing enough over time in one area, then maybe you shift that coach's focus. But So these coaches are getting any and every bit and piece of information from those students, those players, those athletes in those areas, their areas. They're reaching out and connecting during the legal periods. Now, there's windows when you can contact players. There's windows depending on the grad year you are. If you're a junior, coaches can only contact you during certain periods. If you're a senior that's looking to join a program that following year, there's certain times that coaches can con- contact you. Same with sophomores. Sophomores usually can reach out about the same time as juniors, but it's still, there's technicalities with that. And so it's really, 
really specific. And if you break any of that, you break compliance and you can get flagged hardcore. You can lose scholarships. You can face a lot of consequences and compliance is no joke. So you don't want to go down that road. Now, each of these coaches were taking their territories, finding every single player that they could in those areas, watching their film and giving them ratings in certain areas and their personal ratings. So if one coach didn't like a kid, it as long as they're giving the score and that score meets a certain threshold, then maybe the position coach also takes a look because each region coach might not be a position coach. You could have your O-line coach that's over there in Colorado and California that is recruiting wide receivers and linebackers and scouting them as an O-line coach. But if there's guys that that O-line coach who understands football and what we're looking for and the type of system you run, if they are looking at it and they're like, yo, this dude stands out to me, he pops on the film, he's rated in this range, this is what he came out to for me, I think he was pretty impressive overall, then you flag it to the position coach to also then go through, watch the film, and grade it. And if both of them meet the standard of like, yes, this kid <clears throat> beats that line that we have set that we should at least look at them, consider them, keep watching for their new tape to come through, then they get sent to the coordinator for the side of ball they play on, so offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. And that person will also give them grades. So you're getting graded by multiple coaches on the staff. Now, this isn't how every program will work, but this is how the program I worked for worked. There could be fluctuations. There could be differences for different programs. But that was kind of how that got to it. And then if they had good scores across all three of those, then the head coach would also do an evaluation. Now, think about that. That's hundreds of, hundreds of kids that coaches are going through and watching their film and when you're not prepping for a season you're watching recruits and you're watching film in fact even during the season you're heavily still watching film and watching recruits tapes in fact we would take every Wednesday and have a family night where your families could come in we had pizza and everything like that and then after that families would disperse and the coaches would spend one to two hours that evening before heading back home and then starting the next day with prep for the next practice and getting ready for game week. But that Wednesday night, you were spending at least one to two hours reaching out to recruits, making calls, touching base, getting updates and things like that for the guys that make the higher tier and maybe even the middle tier boards. Now, I didn't even mention the boards yet, but as you are going through and grading these guys, if they're making that baseline score, if they're higher, they get moved up to your higher tier recruiting board. If they're middle tier, low tier, you have those three different tiers, at least again with the program that I worked for, and you're able to then look at which tier they fall into, then you can also go within those tiers and prioritize what are your positions of need. Are we need more offensive linemen in this next class? Do we need a quarterback? Do we need, uh, you name it. You're looking at the positions of need, but then also in your tiering of high tier prospect, middle tier prospect, low tier prospects, and then maybe guys that you just wouldn't offer. Um, you might have a tier for that too. Otherwise, you might put them in the low tier and just leave a note or the rating, you'll be able to see the rating enough to see that they wouldn't be someone that we would offer anyway. They're not an offer guy. And so that's kind of how that got sorted out. 
And then from there, uh, there would be times where we'd meet as a full staff and watch certain prospects that we are looking to bring to campus for a game day visit, for an official visit, you name it, where we'd go together and talk about how they fit the scheme, how they fit the system, are they a guy that could work here? And that's just a portion of kind of what that recruiting assistant did. Now, like I said, you have these data bases that every call you make with these athletes, every email you send, every text that you send, it hooks to your phone, it hooks to your laptop and things like that. So you can log the call, you can log the notes, you can log the email into the system. So that way, if another coach has to reach out and they're like, hey, you're the position coach and I think that you should talk to this guy, he's really interested, he wants to know more, but he wants to know more about your style with the O-line. You, He wants to know what our focus is on the pass blocking as opposed to run blocking. He wants to know about the progressions that we're looking at for quarterback, you name it. Whatever a, a kid might be interested in, you might have another coach call. You might have another coach establish communication. In most cases, you want maybe one or two coaches talking to your high-priority kids. And so you'd leave your notes in there. You would attach that information so that way that other coach knows what you talked about with that player. And so it's constantly keeping updates. Think of it like a project management system. They're doing that same type of stuff for recruits when it comes to these football teams. And so that's kind of how that works now. Again, maybe I can dive even deeper in a later episode, break you down through the whole process, break you down through official visits, break you down through all of that. It's it's a job, vote. Like, it is a true job. We're talking early mornings, late nights, especially during the season, and it's a thankless job in most occasions, but it's because these coaches are so passionate and they're so in love with the game that it doesn't feel like work. So that's just kind of a little bit of background on that. I Hopefully for a uh, quick mailbag answer, I dove in pretty deep, but hopefully you enjoy that and we can do another episode talking specific about that in the future. Now the last question that we have for today's mailbag uh, came to me on the email, which is lockedongoldengophers at gmail.com. And just wanted to say, Steven Ortiz seemed so highly recruited and a big splash as a four-star recruit. Is he developing the way he should be at this point, considering he was recruited so highly? Now, this is hard to dive into, but thank you for the question, Danny. Um, It's hard to dive into just because we haven't been able to see every practice. We don't get every behind the scenes. And we also, in these press conferences where we have the limited time, are typically talking about guys that are heavily looking to make an impact on the team now, this year. Or you're talking about key positions like quarterback or things like that when it comes to future. But even guys like Zach Evans who have flashed or Ike White who have flashed, we'll ask about that here and there. But it's tough when a guy's on his second year and we haven't really seen anything, we haven't really heard anything to ask those questions. And hopefully in due time, I'm able to dive into more of those in these press conferences, but it's all about the timing and making that work out. But what I've noticed so far is that Steven Ortiz Jr. wasn't really getting team reps at all in the fall camp. He wasn't seeing the twos team reps. He wasn't even seeing the twos mixed with threes team reps. Sometimes he would get in with the Rofers, which is strictly young guys, strictly 
true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, maybe some sophomores here and there. But those true, true young guys that are still building, that's when you started to see more of Steven Ortiz getting looks. And so those are the only live periods or like team period works that he was seeing in. Otherwise, he's doing a lot of scout work and helping prep the ones and twos. So it's hard to give a full analysis on is he coming along like he needs to. Um, Overall, it does seem like, so he came in as a cornerback. It does seem like he is getting cross-trained and he is also getting looks at the safety position with the safety. So that is promising to see that he's doing anything it takes to try and get himself to the next level and get on the field. Um, But I would say still running with mainly rofers, it would probably say to me that he's a little bit behind and won't really see opportunities when it comes to playing time at all this year. Uh, You'll see Tariq Watson, who is a true freshman, getting reps with the twos over Steven Ortiz Jr. So it just seems like maybe it's not all there as far as putting the playbook together or what he has shown on the field thus far, which isn't getting him more opportunities down the line. Now, that's not to say it never could, and that's not to say that that's 100% true because we're not able to see them day in and day out. But I think what it does stress is that you cannot get caught up in all of these stars ratings. You can't get caught up in the stars. Now, it's nice to see four-star guys choose Minnesota because we haven't had that in the past. But as we continue to progress, we'll see more of those guys come through and not every four-star is going to work out. So overall, I would temper expectations for him and let him develop at his speed. I wouldn't expect too much from him in this season, but the one thing I would stress is do not star watch. In fact, I just saw a tweet rotating around that the top 10 players in the NFL top 100 that is voted on by the players those top 10 only one five-star kid was in that group i believe there was maybe one four-star and then the rest was uh, a lot of three-star guys a couple two-star guys and some guys that weren't even given a star rating so don't get caught up in the stars because some of the best nfl players weren't even given that high of stars now again that's not saying we don't want them don't hear me now, that's not what I'm saying. But overall, just don't get caught up in it. But I do think that Steven Ortiz might be a little behind from what fans would like to see, and you probably won't see him on the field this season in meaningful reps. Now, next, we're going to talk about how the show is going to go week to week during this football season, and that's coming up next. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to keep this last bit short, but thank you for subscribing to the podcast. Thank you for subscribing on YouTube and following the show wherever you get your podcast at Locked On Golden Gophers. Now, let's talk about what the season's going to look like from the podcast standpoint week to week as we go. Now, Mondays, we're going to be doing recaps of the games played over the weekend and the takeaways from that matchup. Now, next week's a little weird because this week was a shortened week with a Thursday game, so Bear with me, but Tuesdays we'll be breaking down our next opponent, the tendencies that they have, the key players that they have, do they have new coaching coming in, what is their 
play style. That's what we'll dive in on Tuesdays. And some Tuesdays, I'm hoping to have friend of the show, Daniel House, on with us to talk about that as well. Then Wednesdays, we are going to be talking our team's key matchups, three keys to victory, and then also the top two players that week on each side of ball, in my opinion, who will be the top two players that week. And then Thursday, we are going to be kicking it off with a co-host that will be joining the show every Thursday. In fact, that is going to start tomorrow. So tomorrow, being game day and Thursday, it will be the first time that we have our co-host for Thursday shows, and that is none other than Tristan Spanford, my brother from another mother, my god brother, like actually, and Brevin Spanford's brother. So he's... It's going to be a blast to have him on the show. He brings a different type of energy. We can bounce off of each other, and I think it'll be a fun show that you guys will really enjoy. We'll have some Q&A time with him. We'll have over-unders that we do. We'll play a game with some over-unders. We will do predictions for that week's game, and that'll be an episode that I think you'll truly enjoy. And then Fridays, we're going to talk about topics on other gopher sports that are gearing up for the winter season. So men's and women's basketball, men's and women's hockey, and diving in on those sports. So that way, we're not forgetting about them as we enter their seasons where we're going to be talking about it all. That's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. But that's what our weeks look like heading into this football season. That's going to do it for us on today's episode. I truly appreciate you. Have a great rest of the day. I will see you tomorrow where we will be joined by our co-host, Tristan Stanford.